We're going to be looking in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, continuing on in our series of sermons through the book of Galatians. And a message I call, Turning Away from Christ. And you'll see why Galatians 1, 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not a gospel, but there are some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Although if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. In our passage today, we notice that Paul almost immediately dispenses with any greeting, any salutation, any message of uh, rather ni- of some kind of niceties or any kind of greeting. That's, uh, and he moves straight to business. Uh, he gives to them a very serious rebuke. You are turning away from Christ. Nothing could be more serious Our goal this morning is to consider this apostolic rebuke and see then how it challenges us in our modern context today. Because you see, Paul is not uh, making a a tiptoe through the tulips kind of a declaration here. Uh, He's not uh, making sure that he doesn't offend anybody's sensibilities. Uh, He's not worried about contradicting anybody's religious beliefs. He jumps right in with both feet. And hits them straight up, uh, right up front. You are turning away from Christ. And it's so serious that not only did he say anathema. And by the way, anathema means accursed. If anybody, even an angel from heaven. Even if I were to come to you and preach to you some other gospel than I have preached before. He said, let them be accursed. Anathema. In a practical way, that means let them go to hell forever. And uh, that's as serious of a thing as it's possible for somebody to say. I want to warn you today that some of the things that I'm going to say are going to come across very serious. The reason for that is simple. I dare not soft pedal a message that the Apostle Paul gave so seriously under inspiration. We, We don't need to minimize this. We need to preach it as seriously today as he did. We live in a day when tolerance is being put forth as the all-important virtue. Arguments and disagreements, especially those over biblical truth and practice, make people very uncomfortable and are avoided. What is happening then on a widespread level, not only on a religious level, but on a political and a national level too, is that we are removing uh, the uh, practice of, of discourse of people of differing opinions sitting down and talking over. We don't then get to hear from different viewpoints and other sides of an occasion because we're all afraid, all concerned. Somebody, oh, it's arguing. Somebody's going to get their feelings hurt. We know how's that working out for us here in America. Do you see anybody getting their feelings hurt these days? See everybody, anybody getting aggravated at one another? Uh, it's, a, it's amazing. We're turning into a censorship kind of culture where if we don't like what you're saying, we'll just turn you off, uh, put you away, walk away, talk to the hand. I'm not listening. This whole concept then of being able to discuss things, to argue, yes, argue over differences of opinion is leading to a widespread abandonment of the truth. 
I want to remind you of these words from Isaiah the prophet. I preached about this a few weeks ago from Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 14 where he said, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity, that is fairness, cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. Now this was written to Israel hundreds of years ago, but it might as well have been written to the United States of America yesterday. Truth is fallen in the street. And because there's no truth, there's no equity. That is, there's no sense of fairness and fair play. Why? Because truth has been abandoned. Justice then is the next to fall. And when there is no justice, what happens is, is that people who do right and live right and do the right thing end up being the victim. Because those who don't play by the rules have no fear of justice, no fear of retribution. This is what happens then when truth fails in the streets. So where would you go today to find the truth? To the government? To the media? Facebook, of course. <laughs> the Cabot Spitting Whittle Club. You can always find the truth there. I stand here unashamedly this morning to make a terrifically countercultural statement. If you want to know the truth, then you need to turn to the B-I-B-L-E. If you want the truth, you need to go to a church then that preaches the Bible. And we might assume that all churches preach the Bible, and I wish that assumption was true, but it isn't. I don't want you to go away from here today even remotely thinking that I was claiming that the only church that preaches the truth of the Bible is Faith Baptist Church. I'm not saying that. Thank God there are many good, solid churches in our community that are preaching the truth of the Bible. We thank God for every one of them. We're on the same team as they are. They're preaching the gospel. They're teaching the truth of Scripture. So are we. I in no way want to claim that we are the only church in Cabot that is preaching the truth and the truth of God's Word. But I can't tell you that all the churches in our community are doing so. I can't. I wish I could. I wish I could tell you that every church in America was preaching the truth of the Bible. But I can't. And the reason for that is found here. The reason why there are different kinds of churches is because there's another gospel. In fact, there are many of them. Now, I'll admit that churches have been often ridiculed because we argue over insignificant things, and that's true. We generally talk about how churches argue over the color of the carpet. Well, I just want to go there with you this morning, okay? Uh, you know, some people, when it comes time to get a color of the carpet, some folks really want blue. I mean, they really, really, really believe the carpet ought to be blue. And others really, really, really believe the carpet ought to be mauve. And, and, you know, what happens is, you know, you discuss it, maybe you argue about it, it brings it to a vote, and that ought to settle it when the church gathers together. We make a decision. Nobody's going to be happy with a checkerboard pattern of, of a line, a strip blue, and a strip mauve. Nobody's going to be happy with that. We have to make a decision. The church acts, and that should be the end of it. Sometimes it's not. The blue folks, you see, really wanted it blue, and it didn't go that way, their way, so now they're all, yeah, blue. <laughs> there. Sometimes people say, well, I guarantee you these feet won't never walk on that mauve carpet. Or even worse, well, I guarantee you none of my money is going to buy that mauve carpet. Oh, 
that's awful. That kind of attitude is pride and rebellion, and that is unscriptural. It is ungodly. God is against all of it. Pride for rebellion, God is against it all. And it dishonors the name of Christ. It has done great disservice to the cause of Christ because we have not handled it well sometimes when we disagree, and we disagree over trivial matters. Sometimes things are a little more serious. I differ with people over the rapture, over who will be in the bride of Christ, over the work of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit, over spiritual gifts, over the age of the earth, over which translation of the Bible to use. And uh, we'll always argue, I guess we'll be arguing forever over how to dress when you come to church and what songs we're supposed to sing, whether the new songs or the old hymns. I, I mean, those things are things we're going to argue about, I guess. There's always going to be differences. But we don't have to divide just because we differ. Do you understand? We can differ, but we don't have to divide over these things. Sometimes we disagree with even other Baptist churches. Sometimes we don't even agree with ourselves. I've often heard it said, well, you Baptists think you're the only ones going to heaven. Well, let me tell you something. We don't even think all the Baptists are going to heaven, okay? Uh, and it's a good time for me to say, tell you, if you're, if you, you can be a Baptist, but if you haven't been saved, you're not going to go to heaven. Bad, being a Baptist is not going to get you there. You have to be a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. More about that in a moment. Now, when we think about all these things in that we don't make a test of fellowship, though we differ about them, we don't divide over these things, Still, Amos' question from long ago comes to us, can two walk together except they be agreed? And there is one thing that we have to agree on, and that is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When a people, you see, reject the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to this passage, they have abandoned Jesus Christ himself. Because the gospel, you see, is the truth of who Jesus is. He is the Son of God and what he has done. And what he has done is he has died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and he promises to save all those who call upon him. It is the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And if we abandon the truth of the gospel, we have abandoned him. And that's as serious as it gets. No matter how much we might sing about Jesus, talk about Jesus, even talk about being a Christian or claim to be a Christ follower, no matter how much we talk about how our church is, whatever, bottom line, if we've abandoned the truth of the gospel, we abandon Christ himself. This is Galatians 1, folk. I didn't make it up. Paul wrote it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and you will read over, and we will, because we'll be preaching the whole book. When you get over to chapter 6, you're going to find out that Paul says, you notice this, I wrote this out with my own hand. And you know what, folks? I, I think <laughs> he said it was a large letter. Uh, that's because he was fired up. He could not believe that they were turning away from the truth of the gospel. And it was so serious that though he almost always employed someone to write out uh, to, uh, his letters for him, this is one he wrote himself. It was so crucial, so critical. 
And the great warning then that we all need to take away from this text this morning is that here in the first century, uh, barely just a few decades after Jesus had played out this great work of all of the ages, that great work of redemption had played out right before them. There were people who were still alive, who were there and saw it happen. Paul the apostle was still out and preaching and planting churches. So was Simon Peter. So was John. Many of the other apostles were out teaching and preaching and working miracles. And yet in spite of that, These people were turning away from Jesus Christ and rejecting the gospel. And if it was happening for them, how much do you think it can happen in our day? Now, I know when, if it's one of the first lessons that I learned, people don't like it when they come to church and they hear preachers badmouth other churches. And believe you me, this morning, that's not my intent. We'd like to be able to work together with the other churches in the community for community service and activities. But that can only go so far because the problem with this is found here in our text in Galatians chapter 1. If any man preach unto you any other gospel, let him be accursed. Paul didn't give us a lot of wiggle room, folks. We have to agree on the gospel. We had to draw a line. Now, we preach the biblical doctrine of salvation. You go to heaven because you repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus did. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. Look at this passage. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That is to repent of our sins and to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I were to, you were to ask me today, Brother Hamlin, how do I get saved? You repent of your sin. You acknowledge that you have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You repent of your sins and you believe the gospel that Jesus died on the cross and he died for your sins and yours and yours and all you folks at home. He died for my sins and he proved his offer of life by being resurrected from the dead. Jesus died buried, rose again. I believe the gospel. Yes, we repent and believe the gospel. What else is there? There's nothing else. Repent and believe. We preach the the biblical truth that there's only one mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Do you want to see about the other Gospels? I need to look no further than these two passages. I could give you a lot more, but these two spell it out. If salvation is by repentance and faith, and it is, repent and believe the gospel. Then when people start adding in anything to that, that's too simple. They never try to take anything away. It's always add something to it, whatever it might be, whether baptism or any other kind of work that there is. It's always trying to add human works into the equation somewhere. And when they're adding something to that in any way, shape, or form, attaching human works to the idea of the gospel, then it is no longer the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't say that any simpler. And that's exactly what Paul says. It's called another gospel, but it's not a gospel at all. When the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that there's only one mediator between God and man. That is, if you want to get to God, you go through that one mediator, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
And yet there's a whole religious structure in the world today built around the idea that you're baptized then when you're a baby because that puts you in the church because the church is the mediator. And then, by the way, it's not just the church. Then you've got to go to the priest because the priest then becomes another mediator. And then you've gone to the church and the priest. And, and, and then you're going to pray to Jesus' mom. And, and, and then Jesus' mom will get you then to Jesus. And then Jesus will get you to God. The problem with that is, is that there are a whole lot more mediators in that equation. The Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And his name is not Richard. His name is not Baptist Church. <laughs> There's one mediator. His name is Jesus Christ. The only way you can get to God is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with these two simple passages of Scripture, I have shown you that this is not just something antiquated and outdated. This is something we live every day. There are people who are declaring another gospel I don't say that with hate in my heart. But I say it with all the passion that I can deliver. If I had more, I'd give you more. God help us. There are those who are preaching another gospel in our world which is not another. We'll see then these things under a couple of headings today. First of all, notice the ease of the change. Paul said, I marvel, I'm amazed. That you are so soon removed, so easily removed, so quickly removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ, under another gospel. They were readily and perhaps even eagerly embracing this perverted gospel. Now we saw last week the historical context of this and we know what was happening in Galatia was that they were trying to add the law of Moses to the gospel. You believed in Jesus, that's fine. But if you really want to make sure you're saved, you want to be justified, you want to make sure you go to heaven when you die, then you got to keep the law of Moses. Why was that so critical? Well, because the Jews were kicking up quite a fuss everywhere the gospel was preached. We saw that last week. How that Paul went from this town to this town to this town, run out of town here, beaten here, threatened with his life, drug out of the city, stoned and left for dead in another. I mean, it wasn't just a war of words, folk. It had gone to blood. It had gone to blood. And the Jews were hating what they were doing and they were fighting against it and setting whole cities and up for it. And you know, they said, well, we can solve all this. We can stop all of this. All we have to do is just say, okay, you can be saved by believing in Jesus Christ, but then we keep the law, and then the Jews won't be mad at us anymore. And we can all get along together, and it'll all be fine. And that looks so good to them, and we can understand it. Don't you get tired of the fighting? Don't you get tired of the hate and the fussing? Don't you get tired of all the differences? And wouldn't it be so good if we could all just agree and get along? Oh, that's such a powerful appeal to us. It was to them too. Paul talked about it in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11. He said, if I'd have gone along with that, if I was still preaching circumcision, then why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. The cross is just as offensive today as it's ever been. And it doesn't matter how many people are wearing it around their neck or ankle or bracelets or whatever. The cross is just as offensive as it's ever been. 
It is not offensive, folk, as a, as a piece of jewelry. And I'm not preaching against wearing the cross as jewelry. Don't misunderstand me. It is not offensive as a piece of jewelry. You see somebody wearing a cross, diamond. See somebody with a cross tattooed on them. Oh, that's a cross. It's not offensive. What is offensive? Notice it's right here. It is the message of the cross. It is the message of the cross that Christ died for our sins. And that there is no other way to be reconciled to God except through Jesus Christ. This idea of getting rid of the offense and, and, and being able then just to get along is such a powerful, powerful pull to us today. We, we long for it. We want it. Paul's valid argument is, is as strong to us as it's ever been. Another gospel is not a gospel at all. In fact, the old King James has it in just that language. Uh, into another gospel, he said, which is not another. Now, in English, we only have one word for another. But Greek, they had two. One means another of the same kind. And one means another of a different kind. If I tell, told you this morning that I was going to trade in my Ford and buy another Ford, I would say I'd gotten another car. I've got another one of the same kind. I could tell you, well, I'm going to trade in my Ford and buy Dodge. And I'd expect some of you to say I've lost my mind. I've gone back on something I said I'd never do. I'd never buy a Dodge. I know I drive a Chrysler product today, but the church bought it. I didn't. And, and, you know, it just, <laughs> no offense to all you Dodge owners and lovers out there. It's just, I bring this up for a reason. If I say I'm trading in a Ford, I'm getting another Ford. Well, I, it's another of the same kind. But if I've traded in a, a, my Ford for a Dodge, then it's, it's not another. It's another of a different kind. We might very easily say, we well, you know it doesn't matter if it's a Ford or a Dodge. Both of them will get you to Little Rock and back, hopefully. And that's true with Fords and Dodges. But you listen to me, brothers and sisters in Christ, and all you folks at home. That's not true of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is only one gospel. Anything that we add to it, they're not going to take away from the gospel. Anything we add to the gospel changes it so that it is not a gospel at all. There's only one gospel that will get you to heaven, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why this is serious to us. And that's why we take such a strong stand on it. There are people we love and we long to think they're saved even though they're in a different religion. And they have a totally different idea of what it means to be saved. We know that the more seriously we press the claims of the gospel, the more likely it is for people to reject it. We don't like rejection. We don't like the offense of the cross. We don't like hurting people's feelings. We don't like arguing. We don't like controversy. But all of that is taken away with these two words. Another gospel. But it's not another. Then we see the essential challenge. The essential challenge. The ease of the change. But then comes this essential challenge that Paul makes. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, that what we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. You see, the gospel evokes one of three responses. It will either make you sad, glad, or mad. 
When the gospel, the true gospel is preached in the power of the Spirit of God, it's going to make you sad, glad, or mad. Now, the gospel is always going to make you sad because it is going to confront you with your sins against a holy and righteous God. It's going to remind you of how much God loves you, of what God has done for you, and the fact that you've been in rebellion against him. The gospel is always going to make you sad. That's why that we call it coming under conviction. It can't make you glad until it first makes you sad. That's what the gospel has to do. But if you skip the glad part, which is where you receive Jesus Christ, where you understand that I'm a sinner and that Jesus Christ died for me, you've heard at that point the best news you've ever heard. I was condemned by my sins. I was headed for an eternity in hell. But Jesus Christ suffered it on the cross for me. And he died in my place so that I don't have to go there. I don't have to face the condemnation of God. I can be delivered. That's the best news we've ever heard. But if you turn away from the glad part, it's going to make you mad. And a lot of you can give testimony to that. I've heard some of your testimonies. How you got mad before you got glad. The gospel might make you sad. It may make you mad. But oh, it can make you glad if you'll receive the truth of it. The problem is, folk, listen, is that we are so inclined to avoid making people mad or making them sad that we withhold from them the truth that will make them glad. You understand what I'm saying? You see, you know, we live in the everybody gets a trophy world. (laughs) And and the problem with everybody getting a trophy is that it, it takes away the joy of winning. I mean, you know, nobody really wins. Everybody wins and everybody... You know, we don't want to make anybody sad by not giving them a trophy. We don't want to make anybody mad by not getting a trophy. And we're just living that every day. Well, we can make them sad. Oh, we don't want to make them mad. But if we don't make them sad and we don't make them mad, we may never make them glad because we don't point them to Christ that will save you. Listen to me this morning, people, I, and all of you at home. I, I, don't, I didn't come here today to try to deliberately make you mad. I'm not here to make you sad. I want you to be glad because you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Paul would write to the church at Corinth about this same problem in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Some years ago, I went to a conference where a nationally recognized pastor was preaching to a conference full of other pastors and He spent a lot of times, he waxed pretty eloquent that day about warning how that the church was going to be a dinosaur. He pointed out how that the dinosaurs couldn't adapt to their changing culture and went extinct. And he said, that's going to happen to churches unless we adapt. At the time, he was leading one of the most innovative churches in America. 
He adapted okay. He led them straight into heresy. And both he and his church are now extinct. But unfortunately, they didn't go out before they had led a lot of other people into the same direction that they were going. Can't you just see Paul saying to Silas up there in heaven, Man, Silas, just think of what we could have done if we'd have had a laser light show and a smoke machine. You don't think Paul ever says that to Silas? You know, I don't think so either. You know why? <laughs> because they had firsthand experience of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They knew what the power of the true gospel preached and the power of the Holy Spirit of God would do in the lives of people. They didn't have anything else, but they changed the world with what they had. We've always been inclined to embrace innovations. That's what Paul warned the church here about, about the craftiness of the devil. He's always been out there trying to lead us away from the simplicity of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But folk, if we lose faith in what the gospel can do and what only the gospel can do, then we'll be turning away from Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't upset because the Galatians had left him or his ministry. He wasn't upset because they'd changed churches or even changed denominations. He was concerned that these people were changing the gospel. That they were abandoning Jesus Christ and abandoning that truth. And that threat is real to us. It is essential, folks, that we know what the gospel is. That we know what is the hope of our salvation. That we be able to explain it very carefully. That we recognize it and we know what it is. We know when somebody is coming along that is adding something to that. And they're preaching something that we haven't heard. There is no innovation for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not telling you today that all innovation is bad because it's not. There was a time when there wasn't a church anywhere to be found. A church of the Lord Jesus Christ that had a building. But I'm glad we've got one. There was a time when they wouldn't have had pews. I'm glad we've got them. I'm glad they've got cushions in them. And you can't appreciate a good cushion pew unless you've sat on one of those old handmade uh, pine ones with all the splinters that got in you. I'll tell you, you can appreciate a good padded pew. I'm glad that uh, we got a, a, a central heat and air conditioning system. Uh, we can't make it uh, lukewarm. We can only make it cold or hot in here. I mean, you're going to freeze or burn or sweat. But uh, hey, I'm still glad we can do it. I'm glad we got these great new lights. They tell me it looked like I look slimmer. <laughs> Bill said I looked younger no he didn't say that I said that he did agree folks we're not saying that all innovation is bad it's not but what we are saying is that we have to know what we believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to know why we can say that I am a saved child of God. I'm going to heaven when I die. We have to know why that is true for us and be able to see it in the lives of others and share it with others and be able to recognize it then when it's preached and recognize when somebody is not preaching that truth. There's a problem of shallowness and that shallowness comes when we really don't know what the gospel is. We really don't know what the Bible teaches. And that's why we need to be in Sunday school and why we need to be in church and why we need to be studying and learning. Folk, we need to know what the truth is and how to share it with others. There's also the truth of foolishness. 
Paul warned the church at Corinth, well, you just let anybody in and let them go. And not, not even ever bother to find out what they believe about the gospel. There's always that inclination. Well, he's a preacher. Know what they believe about the gospel. When your kids and grandkids start going to a new church, find out what that church believes about the gospel. They may go to it anyway, regardless of what you say. But at least you can warn them, hey, these folks are adding a lot of stuff into the gospel. And y'all need to be careful about going to that kind of church. Becomes our time then, our moment, to ask people these two critical questions. Number one is, do you know where you're sitting right now that you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and that you've been saved? Do you know why that that's true? Do you know what Jesus did for you? Are you absolutely convinced in the truth of the gospel? I can't even begin to imagine what all of the religious backgrounds and beliefs that you might have been exposed to when I start thinking about our larger at home audience. But I want to call you today to think about a simple question and the answer to it. Have you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him for your salvation? Have you repented of your sins and believed the gospel of Jesus? If you have, then you are a child of God. You've been born again. And that is a forever change that Jesus Christ has worked in your life. But if you haven't, then it's not going to matter how many churches you've been a part of. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe you've believed on the Lord, but you haven't really followed up on that. Because the answer of that good conscience toward God, according to the New Testament, is baptism. That we follow the Lord as a believer in baptism. Maybe you need a church home. And maybe some of you are at home and you wonder how to respond. I'd encourage you. You can call me on my phone. Wait a few minutes. I won't answer it right now. Uh, text me. Send me a text. 501-860-4733. You call me. Text me. Let me know that you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'd love to take the gospel and show you how you can do that. If you have more questions, love to take the Bible and answer them for you. If you need to follow the Lord in baptism, we can do that. If you need to unite with this church, we can do that too. And as that's true for those folks at home and that are watching from home, it's true of every person in this building too. You don't have to go out of this service the way you came in. You can go out glad because you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's stand together, please.